Hello, this is Dan Bender, executive producer of the Singles Podcasting Network. Today, I'm excited to present Single Living, a podcast that brings you straight talk on everything that concerns today's singles, including relationships, dating, travel, and financial security. Single Living is hosted by Rich Goss, a well-respected expert in the singles industry. He is the author of eight books on dating and has lectured on the subject in over 50 colleges and universities. Rich is frequently interviewed by the news media, including Oprah, CNN, Fox News, and the Wall Street Journal, to name just a few. And now, here's the host of Single Living, Rich Goss. My guest today is Shawanda Riley, author of Love Hangover. Shawanda is a contributor for the Women of Color Study Bible and is the Dallas correspondent for the Sheridan Broadcasting Network. She has been featured in Jet and Essence magazines, as well as ABC Radio Network and USA Radio Network. Welcome, Shawanda. Well, thank you, Rich. I'm excited to be a part of this podcast. Wonderful. What causes a love hangover? You know, it's the one thing that happens to so many people, but that few people like to talk about, and that's a broken heart. Yes. We all remember that song by Diana Ross where she talked about it being so good and so sweet that she didn't want to let go. And a lot of times what happens when a relationship ends is that you don't want to let go of those sweet memories and the time you spent with that person. But by holding on to those things, they end up becoming bittersweet because it's time for you to move on, especially if the relationship is ended. Right. And, and you're saying that a lot of single people, newly single people, aren't ready for the next relationship. They're still pining for the loved one. Exactly, exactly. And that's only a natural human reaction to losing something that you value, where you want to be able to go back or you have a regret and you think, if I did this, if I did that, maybe they'll come back to me. And it's only natural, I think, as humans, for us to want to go back and to try to make it right, as opposed to seeing the relationship ending as a new beginning and an opportunity for you to possibly use those lessons you learned in that relationship and to apply them to another relationship. Well, that sounds great on paper, Shawanda, but realistically, if uh, we look back at our romantic histories, uh, we're devastated at the breakup, and really it's hard to be rational at that time, isn't it? Yeah, because... um you are caught up in emotion. You're, you know, physically, you may be missing that person, missing their touch. Um, you know, I think scientists have actually done studies where they've shown how the body changes when you are in love. There's a, there's a different biochemistry, and that when the relationship ends, it changes, and that's why a lot of people slip into depression because they are dealing with that same grief of losing something that they value. And so, yes, it is difficult. Um, to put what you may read in a book and to actually put it into play. But you have to try because you can't spend your entire life wishing for a relationship that ended five or six years ago. One of the things I try to show them in my book is what the better is. And I start the book off by being very open and honest about my own experience of a relationship ending kind of unexpectedly, to me at least, I think he had it planned, but it took me by surprise, and uh, one of the things I had to do was instead of looking at him, I said, okay, well, let me look at me, and let me look and see what I could have done for myself, not for him, but to make me a better relationship partner. And what are some examples of what you could have done in your relationship? What I could have done is I probably should have looked at the red flags sooner 
and realized what they were. And a lot of times what we do, especially women, we see the red flags and we say, well, that's not too bad. My boyfriend before that, he did this, or I think I can change him. Uh Uh-oh, those famous words, I can change him. I can change him, or even worse, I can handle that. And That's even worse. Okay. I know. Yeah. So he doesn't have to change, but I can just kind of deal with it. And so right. I realized when it was all over with, if I had looked at the warning signs, you know, probably two months into the relationship, I would have gotten out of it a lot sooner. Now, what are some of these red flags, Shawanda, that women or men, for that matter, should be aware of? Well, if you find yourself looking at that person and you keep saying, this is perfect. That's a problem, and that's a red flag, because no relationship is perfect, because relationships are made up of two imperfect people. So he's holding back on you if he's too perfect. Exactly. I mean, there are some men and there are some women that I believe are genuinely kind and compassionate, men that know how to open up the door, pull out the chair, send the roses. But the question is, if it's so perfect, it's probably because you're idealizing it uh-huh. and kind of making it kind of a romantic fantasy of what you've always wanted it to be. Yeah. But you, you fail to look at the fact that, yes, he takes you out to dinner on Friday night, but he's late every time he does that. Right. And he doesn't call. Yes. He tells you he's late. That's a red flag. That shows disrespect and inconsideration. And even though at the beginning of the relationship, you're just so excited to be with that person, you don't pay attention to it. But five years in, you realize he's showing me he doesn't really respect my time if he's not even going to get to a date when we're going to dinner early. And it kind of mushrooms into something like that. And what other red flags are there, Shawanda? Um, Of course, deception. When people lie about insignificant things. You know, I had a friend who would lie about to me, something that was not significant, and I said, now, if he's going to lie about something that's small, what does it mean when it's a bigger issue? Is he going to lie about it? In the end, he was lying about much bigger things, but what I did, because I realized he made little lies, big lies, I was able to get out of it, and in the end, when we kind of reconnected just as friends, I realized he's still a liar, and so it's good <laughs> to have in, you know, the, the relationship. I hate to call him a liar, but Buddy, that's I mean, what that he was is. a red flag. A liar is a liar is a liar. Yeah, yeah, it is. Harsh word, but the truth sometimes is harsh. So how do you prevent a love hangover? Well, I think that you have to be honest with yourself when the relationship ends, that it's really over. And the love hangover is kind of like an alcoholic hangover. You you get those toxins in your system, and an alcoholic hangover you have to let the toxins just kind of work themselves out. There's no cure for it. You can't, you know, drink a special mixture the next day or right. sleep it off. It just has to kind of work its way out of your system. And it's the same thing with emotional toxins. When you've been yes. lied to, you feel betrayed, you feel you've been cheated, you feel like you've been made a fool of, which is a lot of times what causes that love hangover. You feel like someone has gotten over on you, and you get angry. And you have to let those, those issues kind of work themselves out of your system. Now, the way you prevent that from happening is you be honest about those emotions in the first place as opposed to to covering them up, which is what so many people do. Who would you say is more susceptible to love hangovers, men or women? Well, I think we both are susceptible to love hangovers. I think in the instance of men and women, we both respond differently. You know, there have been news reports, and and I'm in Texas, and there have been news reports I've watched just over the last week of people doing things because relationships have ended. There was a man in Louisiana who killed his wife and four of her family members 
tried to kill himself, but he wasn't able to work it through because of their domestic issues. Yes. There are other stories where men are the ones that when the relationship ends, they are unfortunately the ones that will go to the workplace, go to where they believe the wife or the ex-wife or the ex-girlfriend, um, or do something to the children to get back at her. But women, we deal with the love hangover differently. We'll get together with our girlfriends, and we'll talk about you. Right. We'll eat a bunch of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> we may go shopping, all the while still talking about you. Right. But a woman will talk about those things, and I don't know if how men and women are kind of conditioned to deal with emotions, if that's the difference. But I've just noticed on the news stories and just people that I've talked to when the relationship ends, it's the men that usually act out in anger. The women, we may key your car or we'll talk about you, <laughs> but it's rare that you hear a woman will go back and kill her ex-boyfriend. Well, you're right about that. So it sounds like one of the differences between men and women with respect to the love hangover is that women are better equipped to handle the breakup of a relationship. They can get those feelings out, talk to their girlfriends, get that hurt out and that anger out, whereas some men, obviously only an extreme example, but some men that can't express that anger, they can't get their feelings out in any other way than something really violent. Right, and, and that's one of the things that I found in doing the research for the book, because while I was writing the book, uh, because I, I knew for me I had a love hangover, but I never acted out in anger. I just was emotionally torn up and in turmoil. Yes. But I would see, as a news director for a community station here in Dallas, I would see just news story after news story of people dealing with the same thing, and they would oftentimes have that same reaction. I said, the women will cry about it, and I think we're trained to be more in touch with our emotion, which is why women are given kind of the stereotype of being more emotional. I yes. think men are just as emotional as women, but the emotions come out differently. I like that you make that distinction there, because yes, men are seen as, as being totally different from women, supposedly unfeeling, but the fact of the matter is a man who goes out and murders his family, he's got a lot of emotions. In fact, he has too many strong emotions. The problem with men is not that they don't have emotions. The problem is sometimes they don't know how to express them constructively. Right. And, and I found, and also in doing the research for the book, just talking to men, because the book, even though it's got a pretty yellow daisy on the cover, men get as much out of it when they read it as women. And some men have accused me of writing the book and bashing my ex and being a man-bashing book. You know, they say, we'll see you on Oprah. And I'm like, no, you won't, because it's not a man-bashing book. It's uh -huh. all about getting in touch with, with your emotions. But uh, uh, oh, oh now, hold, hold, hold on now. Are you saying you can't get on Oprah unless you're willing to bash men? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they would kind of say sarcastically, we know your book will be on Oprah. Right, right. You know, because you know, it's got to be a man-bashing book, otherwise it won't make it to a show. And I'm like, that's not true. Well, either that or Dr. Phil. I, I, I always joke with my wife when we watch Dr. Phil that every single time, it seems, Dr. Phil always takes uh, the side of the woman, and it does turn into a man-bashing session. And, of course, uh, yeah. Oprah's audience is primarily women as well. So, you know, both of these talk show hosts know uh, what their audience is all about. And, obviously, a woman-bashing show is not going to get the same ratings as a man-bashing show. Unless it's on ESPN. <laughs> yes, there you go. If it's on ESPN, um, but, that's a different story. Um, but, but I have just found that men get as much out of the book as women do because they know what it's like to have those emotions and you don't know what to deal with. You don't know what to do with them. You know, the men will talk about it on the basketball court. Or like, you know, tonight there's, you know, basketball, championship basketball games for the NBA. They'll talk with their guy friends yeah. about what's happening while the game is going on. 
Yeah, but usually if you hang around guys enough, like I have, of course, uh, when, when guys get together with their buddies, we really do talk about the game. We really don't talk that much about women during the game. In fact, uh, it's a no-no to talk during the game. you got to wait for the commercials. Oh, wow. That's, that's, <laughs> what I, that's why my male friends, I will not be contacting them until Saturday. <laughs> right. Well, well it's kind of like going to a Super Bowl party. You know, I, I go to Super Bowl party every once in a while with a, with a good friend, and he's got like four different television sets in different rooms because different people are into the Super Bowl differently. He's got one room for people that are really interested in the game, and he says, listen, if you go into that room, that's not the room to talk about your boyfriends. That's the room to watch the Super Bowl. And then he has another room for people that are sort of interested in the Super Bowl, but not that much. So they're going to talk a little bit, but they're also going to watch the game. That's then he has another room for people that really aren't into the Super Bowl at all. So they have the game on, but it's really background noise. And then there's a fourth room where there's no television set at all. And that's basically just full of women who are just talking. And I guess on the basis oh, wow. of what you're saying, Shawana, these women are all talking about their boyfriends. Sometimes <laughs> they are. I bet you nine times out of ten, the boyfriends are the boyfriends they wish they had. Yeah, well, <laughs> the there you go. they wish they could get rid of. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Now, do men and women handle relationships differently I think that that's based on their, their background. I think men and women are, are kind of conditioned by society to deal with the emotional issues in relationships differently. I think we all want relationships. We all want someone that we feel connected to. We all want someone that we feel understands and supports us. That's part of being human. But I think that we are trained, men and women, to go after those things differently. A man will look at a woman and he'll start fantasizing about what she's like in bed and about if she'd be a good mother for the kids. And he fantasizes like that, it's kind of being the visionary. And the woman won't necessarily look at the man and think that. She'll listen to what he says. And she responds to what the man will say about his future or about what he's doing. And that's how she determines you know, I think a lot of times women determine whether or not they'll have a relationship or even the potential for a relationship with a man based on what's hurt. That's why pimps do so good, because they tell them what they want to hear. I see. How can you have a good relationship breakup? How can you have a good relationship breakup? I think if you realize the relationship isn't working, be honest about it and to let it go. Now, I think people get into the awful kind of difficulties in relationship breakups when they're not honest about the fact that they don't want to be in it or when they're not honest about the fact that they realize the other person doesn't want to. You know, sometimes in relationships, the other person doesn't have the courage to tell you, I don't want this anymore, but they're showing you. Like my ex, the guy with the book about, he showed me he didn't want to be with me because he stopped wanting to spend time with me. Right. And I, like a nut, huh? believed him. You know, when he was like, well, I just want us to spend some kind of time apart and, you know, just to kind of do some things on my own. And I said, okay, great. You know, we do need to spend some time apart. But that was really his way of just kind of putting a distance there. But, but that's always the dead giveaway, Shawanda. We, we need time alone. We need time apart. We need to work through our feelings. Basically what he's saying is, I'm ready to move on. Yeah. And what I didn't realize back then is that he was telling me, but he didn't have the courage to be a man and just say, I don't want this anymore. Yes. I remember we had the conversation and I told him, is, I said, don't play games. If you don't want it, just say, I don't want this. But he wouldn't I say said, it, I would he? Oh, no, he wouldn't say it. Right. And 
Um, even in the end, he wouldn't say it because he said, God told me to break up with you. Oh, and so, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, that, so That's my, a good excuse. I'm going to have to remember that a, one. That's a big red flag, too, because <laughs> yeah. um, God is like, I got many other things to worry about on this earth. You know, one little relationship is not my major concern right now. Right. But he still put it on somebody else. He never took that responsibility. And, you know, that's okay because I really don't need to be in a relationship with someone that can't take emotional responsibility. And is there any truth, Shawanda, you hear all the time that uh, supposedly a lot of men don't have the courage to tell their, their woman that uh, the relationship is over, so they intentionally act badly, they intentionally treat her rotten, hoping that she'll dump him so that he doesn't have to do be the dumper, that he can be the dumpy? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, people who are passive-aggressive, because I know women do that as well. Yes. You know, if they don't want to be the ones that are labeled as the quote-unquote bad guy or bad woman, they will do things to upset the other person, knowing which buttons to push. Yeah. And then when those buttons get pushed, they just kind of step back and let it explode. Yes. And then they say, well, you know, you broke up with me, and they say, I may be sad, my heart will go on as the old song goes on, but... You know, they kind of escape having to do with the emotional responsibility of being the one that recognized at first, this is not what I want. Now, once you recognize the relationship is ending, have an honest discussion about it. Don't do like some people, just stop calling yes. or stop spending time with that person. At least let them know, you know, I've appreciated you being a part of my life. This is an awkward conversation. I don't even know how I'm going to say this, but this is just not working for me. Right. I wanted you, and I respect and appreciate you, and I love you enough, especially if the relationship has gotten to that point, yeah. and care about you and your feelings enough to, to tell you. That way you don't have any question. And if you have a question about what you did wrong, if there was anything on your part, we can talk about it now, and you don't have those questions. Yes. And I think if people handled relationships that way, it would cut down on the confusion when you see them in the mall with somebody else, because then you think, well, maybe they left me for that other person, and no, they just didn't want—they just didn't want the relationship, and that's okay, right? You know, and people deal with shame too much. Yes. You know. Well, what are the factors that are essential to having healthy relationships? We've been talking about the rotten relationships, but what yeah. about the healthy relationships? Uh, honesty is one thing you've already spoken about being honest with each other, but what other aspects are there to healthy romantic relationships? Well, I think in order to have a healthy romantic relationship, you yourself have to be a healthy person. Okay. And we all too often get into relationships emotionally unhealthy. We're jealous, we're insecure, we got low self-esteem, we feel guilty, we have regrets from last relationships, you know, the baggage, the issues that people yes. talk about. Right. And we've never dealt with them. We've just found someone else who's got their own set of baggage and you kind of match them up and you say, well, this will work for now. Uh, it's kind of like at the airport, you know, you go through the turnstile and you find the bag, it kind of looks like yours, but it's not, but, you know, yes. you, you may still try to make it work. And I think if people said, I'm not healthy enough to be in a relationship right now, let me take a relationship time out and not get in one, not for the other person's sake, but for my own sake, that would help out. And, you know, you work on those issues. And, you know, if that means you have to go to counseling, go to counseling. If that means you, you're a Christian or you're, you're know, a religious person, you spend time in prayer, spend time in prayer. But don't put yourself out there as being available for a relationship when you really aren't. I know of, of someone now who is a very loving man. He's very compassionate and extremely supportive. But he's not emotionally ready to be in a relationship. But he doesn't know that? He doesn't know that. I think he does. I think he knows that all of the emotional issues that happen in a relationship scare him right now, and so whenever he gets close, he backs up because the emotions are too much for him. 
And, you know, somebody said, well, that's playing games. I said, no, he can't say that he's not ready, but he's showing he's not ready. And so he's actually doing the right thing by backing up. And whoever wants to be in a relationship with him would be wise to recognize it and let him back up without trying to pull him closer and say, well, what's wrong? You don't like me or, you know, you're playing games with me. Just say, okay, I see you're not ready and let it go. And you don't have to take it personally. If somebody, you know, isn't right for you or you're not right for them, you know, why lie about it? Why try to force a square peg into a round hole? Like you say, just move on. The the question, of course, is, Shawanda, are there any good people out there to get into a relationship with? I mean, or, or does everybody have this baggage that you're talking about? Well, you know, I think there are good people, and the key factor to having a healthy relationship is to find somebody whose issues you can handle. Yes. You know, and the first time I heard that, I was like, well, that's stupid. I wouldn't want anybody with issues. But then I said, no, I've got issues. <laughs> right. I just want someone that can handle my issues. There you go. You know, you know, just like you want someone that can handle the food that you eat. Yes. You know, you don't have to be the best chef, but I want whoever's in a relationship with me to like how I make spaghetti, even if it's not, you know, the best. At least yes. he likes it. Right. And I think it's the same thing with the relationship. Find someone whose issues you can handle, and you find someone who can handle your issues. And I think that God gives each one of us a certain measure of grace and mercy for other people, a certain amount of compassion. And whereas I can be compassionate towards someone who I see is struggling with emotional issues, someone else may not, and they may say, well, they just need to get over it. But I have the passion and the patience to be able to help that person. And that's the kind of people that I might end up being in a relationship with because I do have the patience for it. Sure. What are signs that you're over a love hangover? Oh, you know, I write in the book about you recognizing that there was no one person who had the sole responsibility for the relationship. Other signs that you have gotten over the love hangover is that you no longer feel pain or that little that just kind of uncomfortable feeling on the inside of your heart when you either think about that person or you see that person, you have no no desire to talk to that person, you have no desire to want to spend time with that person, you're able to look at the relationship and say, I learned some things, I hope he or she learned some things, and these are the things I'm going to use in the next relationship. But but the converse then, Shawanda, if I can just uh, conclude from all this, is that if you still have those things going on, then you're not ready for a love relationship. If you're still thinking about them all the time, or you still have all these regrets and all these hurt feelings, and and you can't look at the positive thing that you're growing as a human being, if, if none of those things are there, then you really aren't ready for a new relationship. You're still in the hangover, and it's the worst time to try to meet somebody new. Exactly. But what we do is we make the mistake of going in with all of that stuff and saying, well, maybe if I meet somebody else, they'll help me deal with it. Yes. Or, you know, or they said that they see my pain, like Bill right. Clinton said, I feel your pain, <laughs> and they feel your pain, and, and so they then want to help you walk through it. But they themselves are walking on emotional crutches, and it's yes. really like the blind leading the blind. Well, exactly. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about your annual Love Hangover Conference? Right. I've been doing the uh, Love Hangover Relationship Conference for singles uh, since 2000, um, and it's all designed to give singles the opportunity to have an open forum where they can talk about issues that help them build healthy relationships. This year's conference is called Living Above Sea Level, S-E-E. Many times we can't go beyond what we see in a person or what we see in the relationship potential, and we miss it completely. And sometimes you have to use faith especially from the religious perspective, in order to believe that relationship can be better than the possibility. 
And so, you know, the conference is a two-day conference, and it's going to be in Dallas, June 23rd and 24th. And if people want information on the speakers and registration, they can go to the website, which is livingabovesealevel.com. But it's all about seeing with a better eye. You know, one of the workshop topics is blurred vision. How do you correct blurred vision? You get blurred vision because you've been looking at things kind of differently in the past, like with a contact lens. It gets dirty because of clutter, protein deposits, and unless you really clean it well, you'll never be able to see out of that thing clearly and to see things as they really are. You look through that contact lens and it will be distorted. It's the same thing with relationships. Unless you change your faith vision, whenever you look through people and at relationships through that faulty or cloudy faith vision, you'll never see it for the potential that it really has. Okay. What inspired you to write your book, Love Hangover? <laughs> I got, let's see, people have said I shouldn't say I dumped uh, because that's <laughs> such an ugly term, but right. that really is what it is. You know, right. I alluded to it earlier. A guy right. was dating 18 months and I knew we need to have a conversation about the relationship. I said, sure. I thought he was going to drop on one knee and he said, oh. God told me, yeah, God told me we needed to break oh, up. Oh, my God. What a you shock. Know. You're expecting the, the, the big question and the ring and instead you get dumped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really was a shock for me because up until that point, he had been talking about marriage and moving away and doing all that stuff. So he really kind of did the bait and switch. So because I was a writer, I ended up writing about my emotions in a spiral journal. And I reread those journals. You know, I did it like every day for like six months. And I reread those journals six months in, and I realized, wow, you can see how much I've grown. I've got more to go. But you can see emotionally how I'm not where I was when I was saying I hate him and everybody in his life but where I say, okay, let me move on. And so that's really kind of where it came about, and that's really where the conference came about. You know, I've done a column in a, a newspaper in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for six years, all dealing with these issues with relationships and also spirituality. So, I mean, it's, it's turned out to be a good thing, and people have been helped by it. People have been helped by the book and through the conference. So other people have come to the conference, and they've gotten married. You know, I'm still single, but yes. um, I'm thankful that in even just sharing that part of my story, other people are coming and getting help and able to, to move on and have better relationships. So what does the future hold for you, Shawanda? Ideally, do you see yourself uh, settling down and getting married and having babies, or, or do you see yourself as, as just being the detached author who teaches others how to have successful <laughs> relationships? Well, if I had, a, if my faith vision, if I could live above what I see, I would, of course, say, you know, settling down and getting, having a husband and having a family because that, that is my desire. And I believe that's going to happen. Right. And I believe that all the things that I've been doing for the last few years are leading up to that because it has helped me see men in a different light. You know, one of the things that people do is when a relationship or you have a, an awkward or a bad reaction or experience with one person of the opposite sex, you stereotype the whole sex. Yes. And I went through that season where I was like, I don't want to deal with men. I don't want to, you know, men, you're nice. But, but I've learned to just develop healthy friendships. And developing those healthy friendships, I'm developing other relationships that have much more potential, you know. So, so it's a great thing. So I see that happening. You know, I'm working on another book called Loving in the Red Zone, which is all about relationships and strategies on how to strategize and get what you want in relationships. Uh -huh. the, red, the red zone in football is 20 yes. yards to go. Anybody yes, who knows exactly. football knows that. That's where they keep the game statistics. They keep, you know, right. the key statistics for the game. That's where it's really you've got to focus on going beyond what you feel. You've got to get into the end zone, or if you're the opposing team, make sure they don't get into the end zone. Yes. And I say in the book that men and women 
Um, men always out-strategize women because y'all learn the strategy by watching football. <laughs> and we get too caught up in the emotion of everything. And if we could learn to follow strategy and to develop our own relationship strategy, then we would end up getting what we wanted in relationships. Now, how can people get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me via my website, which is uh, shawandalreilly.com. And I'll spell my name because it's kind of different. Good, yes. S-H-E-W-A-N, as in Nancy, D-A-L-R-I-L-E-Y.com. They can also email me at lovehangover at juno.com. Or if they want to, they can give me a call, you know, at 972-533-3543. Well, that's easy enough. Well, I'd like to thank my guest, Shawanda Riley. Single Living is a production of the Singles Podcasting Network in San Rafael, California. If you have any comments or suggestions about single living, feel free to email us at comments at singlespodcastingnetwork.com. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, this is your host, Rich Goss.